Uh, so if you need a Bible um, to follow along, which will put one in your hands. Um, so in our, um, in our last election, we, we had a country that was truly divided. Um, each of the two candidates had issues and they were very hard to overcome. Uh, passions ran high. But then using the process by which our country established for fair elections, we selected a president. Some hailed the result as a God-directed change. Some hailed the result as a disaster of enormous proportions. But the process worked. And on January 20th, 2017, the 45th president was sworn in. What followed immediately were protests of not my president. Well, this follows that on April 9th, 2017, the president is still the president. He still is. But people might think, I asked for a change. Wait, this is not the change I wanted. As we see in the scriptures, I asked for a king. But this is not the kind of king I would have fashioned for myself. And so may we deny him. Telling you today that Jesus Christ is the King. Amen. He is the rightful heir to the throne of David. Amen. And he will reign forever. Amen. So I'm asking us, how are we going to do business with Jesus? We all must do business with Jesus. You may this morning listen and hear the truth about who Christ is, who he was, what he did. And you may listen with apathy. You may not mean anything. You may just let it go. You may, in fact, say, I don't like this Jesus as king. But for you, come on, Jesus will still be king. So you must do business with Jesus as king today. When confronted with the reality of Jesus as King, will you, will I, be the grumbler in the crowd? Will we be the ones that begrudge the kind of people that are allowed into his kingdom? Will you be rather the repentant, wretched sinner that turns to Jesus and abandons everything to follow him? Or will you proclaim in hatred, I will not have him reign over? Will you be the faithful servant who, according to the measure of faith that he gives you, will you steward then the king's treasure? Or will you be the one who calls for a rebuke of all that follow the king? Will you be the servant of the king that declares the goodness of the king? Or will you seek to overthrow the king in his own house, negate his words, and declare yourself as the ruling and reigning one? Will you find life in King Jesus and hang on his every word? I declare to you in your hearing now, April 9th, 2017, Jesus Christ is the King. Amen. Amen. And if you, will you respond to that truth today? Or will you deny that truth today? But I declare this to you that Jesus Christ will still be the King on April 10th, 2017. <laughs> Amen. He will still be the King. 
So let us look at specifically um, Luke uh, 19, 28 through 35. And let's pray a little time. Father, I ask for your guidance. I ask for the Holy Spirit's direction as we look into your word. I pray, Lord, that your word would look into us. And that we would hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is, was, and will be. For your text of scripture this morning, guide us, direct us, change us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where I enter, you will find a colt tie, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Verse 45. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of God. Thank you. Thank you, God. <clears throat> so, there's a temptation when you dive into this text to preach the whole Bible. And... I hope not to do that this morning, but we'll, we will have some context that has to kind of come into this. Um, but uh, as I was thinking about this, dividing the, the, um, the chapter up, chapter 19, I would have divided it into five scenes. But this morning we're going to deal with three of them. Um, but I'm going to refer to the first two scenes a couple of times to help us get the context and help us get some understanding um, of what we're looking at. So, to outline this, um, just for memory's sake, to help us a little bit, um, in verses 19, uh, in chapter 19, verses 20 through 35, we see the heralding of the king. In 26 through 40, hailing the king. In 41 through 44, the heart of the king. And in 45 through 48, the house of the king. So, to give us a picture of what's happening here, I want to look at the history of what the people to whom God was sending the king to. You remember from Judges 21 25, 
that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then we look forward to 1 Samuel in chapter 8. He says, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing is, please Samuel, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they've done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So you see, they had previously rejected God as king. They had a king. And they rejected God as king. They said, but we want a king like the kings that everyone else has. We want a king that fights the way we want to fight. We don't want a king that fights the way God fights. We want a king that fights like, like us. <coughs> and he tells them that in um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, the rejection of the king and just how much this costs, but the fact that the king is still the king, that King Jesus ultimately will still be the king. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house to my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be, able, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, who I put away from you in your house. And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's a near view of this future king that, of course, we see in Solomon and all that followed. And all that followed, of course, the Lord disciplined him. But there's, there's a future king that this speaks to, that the longer view of this future king, this future king whose kingdom would have no end, this future king would not have committed any sin. And yet, the punishment that we deserve would be put upon him. He would receive our stripes. And the love of God would be poured out for us by pouring out the wrath that we so richly deserve poured out on our king. So to get us even further here in the context of this declaration that of Jesus as the king from the back up to the beginning of Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and we look at 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, this Jesus was born in the king. As Jesus was born in the king. He was born in the king. His kingdom will last forever. As we declare this today, that Jesus is king. What are you going to do with it? How will we respond to Jesus as king?
Back to our text that we started in this morning. Let's look at verse 28. Heralding the king. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. I want to stop there for a second because I want to pause on after he said these things. So what things did he say? Well, things he had just finished saying in verses 26 and 27. I tell you that to everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So, he's speaking, of course, in that parable of the king, but he's speaking of himself. He's speaking of himself. So after he has said these things, when he had said these things, he was going on to Jerusalem to declare his kingship, his rightful kingship. So, let's look at, again, at 28 through 35. And when he had said these things, he went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of that Mount that is called Abed, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on enter- entering you will find a colt tied, one on which uh, no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has needed it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. So the heralding of the king, you would normally expect to be with much pomp and much circumstance, right? The heralding of the king would be a celebration, and that the king would be highly exalted, right? And here he comes, even when you think of our inauguration, right? It's a big crowd, right? And, and he's elevated and he is lifted up and everything is top down, right? The king says top down telling you this is how this is going to be. Well, this was, came with like no pomp, no circumstances and one would not expect this of the king of all of creation would come in this way. But the king was announced very powerfully, nonetheless. It was very powerful. It wasn't announced with words. Did Jesus come walking in saying, I am the king? He declared his kingdom. He declared who he was by fulfilling the very word of God right in front of their eyes. He's fulfilling the very word of God right in front of their eyes. Zechariah 9, 9. Let's look at that real quick. Zechariah 9, 9. Page 1250 in my Bible, but I don't know. <laughs> 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 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal. Of the donkey. So you see, the word of God was coming to fruition right in front of their eyes. Amen. Right in front of their eyes. So we're going to see, and I want to go back to a couple of the first scenes, and I want us to get this. There's a response to this kingdom. There's a response to 
uh, a prophecy being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. But there's a response to this. And there's been a response to the king in the first few scenes as well. So let's back up just a bit in chapter 19 and look at um, verses 8 through 10. And behold, and Antichia stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So you see that there's a response of the people that are of the kingdom. The response of Zacchaeus is what? Repentance and faith. He repents and he has faith in the king. And then in 1926, you see another response of the people of God, the people of the kingdom. In 1926, he says, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given more, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. So there's a response of faith. There's a response that in faith, whatever little faith that is, it might be big faith, it might be small faith. You might have been entrusted with a lot, you might have been entrusted with a little, but the people who are faithful with that which God has given them. You see, then, there's a response that we get in the crowd. There's an opposite response. See, in 1907, we're going to see a different response than Zacchaeus. 1907, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. They reject the king because of who the king's people are. They reject the king because I don't like the king's people. It's a point of conviction, I think, for me. Is that as we gather together, we have people who love us the wrong way, who live differently than we do, or have a different background than I do. And I say, you're allowing him into the kingdom? He's somebody I'm supposed to have fellowship with? That's kind of their idea then, right? Is that here comes Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to the sky. And they say, well, that's not the kind of king I would serve. The kind of king I would serve would bar him from entering him. The kind of king I want would allow that person to be in fellowship with him and with me. Right? Amen. And then, even, 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 even worse, in, um, in 1914, there's another sort of response here. Um, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. There's the faithful who say, I will steward what God has given me with what little faith I have. And then there's the general citizens, the crowd, and the crowd says, we will not have him reign over us. But reign he will. How do we deal with that? We will not have him reign over us, but reign Jesus will. Amen. I want us to get that. So who are kingdom of God people? That became my question that I just dove into this week. Who are kingdom of God people? They are like Zacchaeus. Kingdom of God people are those who repent 
and believe. The kingdom of God people are those who, like those servants, armed with what little measure of faith or what great faith God has given them, steward the king's treasures. Those are kingdom of God people. I long to be a kingdom of God people. I long to be a kingdom of God person. Right? I want to be a kingdom of God person. I want to be a kingdom of God person that says, all I need to know about you, whether you be my brother and you be my sister, is have you repented and believed in the king? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? Then you are my brother and we are kingdom of God people together. Amen. Right? Amen. But I am the guy who says, I want to reign and be the king. And I want to decide who's in the kingdom. <laughs> Often. I want to decide that if you're not like me, then you're not part of the kingdom. Amen. Right? That has been my prayer of repentance this week. Is that that is one of the ways where I have taken the throne. Where I have said, I will not have this man rule and reign over me. Not in this area. I get to decide. That's the area, to me, of my deepest need of repentance. Verse 36. Let's go 36 through 40 now. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What does Jesus proclaim as king? What do the disciples proclaim Jesus as king? What do they say? They exclaimed, peace in heaven. Peace in heaven. It's a far cry from the king they were looking for. They were looking for peace. Indeed. But were they looking for peace in heaven? The coming king was the broker of peace between the Father and those who would repent and believe. Having brokered a peace between the Father and them, between the Father and me, he then is my king, and I can say glory to God in the highest. I was at odds at enmity with God, and God sent his king, his king of peace. Peace in heaven. Peace with my heavenly Father. Praise God. Glory to God in the highest. The heaven-sent king had come, signifying peace from above. And what then do the religious do with that? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The religious again back to, to Samuel. They wanted to fashion a king for themselves that would fight in a way that the kings of the world around them had. Well, what about us? What about us? Have we fashioned a Jesus after our own liking? I want to notice the response. They say, 
they declare him as king and say, glory to God in the highest. The religious say, teacher, rebuking. And I think then when we are fashioning Jesus around our own liking, we think this way, and I think this way often. Jesus can be my teacher. I can be okay with that. Jesus can even be my savior. Because when I mess up, I know I need saving, right? I know I can't save myself. And I can submit to him when I mess up and say, be my savior. Excuse my bad behavior, is really what I'm saying. I want Jesus to be my savior so he can excuse my bad behavior. So I can honor Jesus as a savior. And I can say that his words are true and helpful to me and give me a comfort because it's speaking of grace and goodness, but I'm only going to select those passages which, of course, do that for me. Right? I'm going to select those that, that, that tell me that, that talk about grace and mercy and peace. Right? I'll, I'll, take, I'll take Exodus 34 and only take part of it. I'll take the part of Exodus 34 where he's got mercy upon thousands and all that. But I, but I will take the part where it says he becomes the guilty. Right? Because I want Jesus to be my savior or my teacher, I want him to excuse my bad behavior. But will I acknowledge Jesus as king having reigned in every area of my life? Will I acknowledge that Jesus? And in a world where people are jockeying for position, in a world of top-down oppression, this entry of Jesus is anything but kingly. Right? So, these religious say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. Rebuke them. And then Jesus' answer, I think, is fabulously poignant about saying that Jesus will be the king tomorrow, regardless of your response today. And that God was doing a work in that moment, in their midst, right in front of them. That even the whole earth knew that the king had set foot on the earth and was declaring who he was. Because he says, even these stones were cracked. Had they not praised my name, even the very stones would cry out that he is the king. Right? He is the king. Well, I want us to hear too the heart of the king. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. So the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one son upon another in you because you will not know the time of your visitation. A king has a heart felt weeping desire for them to see the truth of the king see the truth of God. To have the peace in heaven with their Father. He wants them to see it. And he wishes that they don't. 
because he knows that both things are true at the same time. When you look at this word visitation, visitation also has a connotation in Isaiah of punishment. There's, I came to bring peace, but if you're an enemy of the king, punishment comes. Who is the enemy of the king? All the denial are enemies of the king. And it's a heartbreaking thing for you. Why can't they see? Why have they had blinded eyes? As a pastoral prayer, it is my plea every week. As you proclaim these truths of the gospel, we, play, we proclaim the truth of the word of God to people. I am struck with why can they not see? Have they not heard? Why can't they see? And then I realized, as Doug and I were also talking about this this morning, that it is not the job of the preacher or the elders to open blinded eyes. It is not the job. The Holy Spirit opens blinded eyes. I, I heard a thing this week, this is a tangent, but I think it's apropos. I heard, I heard a thing this week from Mark Denver on the, on the Gospel Coalition website that I thought was fantastic. He said, as we proclaim the gospel in this age, we can proclaim it as, as a kind of a, a crisis. We see all this going around us, and we want to tell people this thing, we can view it as a crisis because of how bad the world has gotten, how things have changed, and they're just, they've got to be infinitely worse than they ever were. And that we've got to come up with a new method of, of reaching these people, right? And he says, it is 0% harder to reach lost people today as it was 50 years ago. It's 0% harder than it was 150 years ago. It's 0% harder than it was three, 300 years ago. Why? Because we do evangelism in a cemetery. We preach the word of God to dead souls. It's not any harder today than it was. We're still dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do work, right? It is the Holy Spirit that will convince us that Jesus Christ is the King. And I'm praying and pleading for that this morning, that Jesus Christ will stir in us in our hearts that Jesus Christ is indeed the King. And know this, that if you miss the kingdom, it sorrows the heart of the king. If you miss him, it sorrows his heart. I think of 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. You see, the idea here is that the kingdom marches on. The kingdom marches on. He's slow to anger, and he's patient, and he's not wishing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance, but the kingdom marches on. Because the king is on the throne, and the king is on the move, 
and this whole text is Jesus declaring himself as king. He's on the move. He is on the march. There's a direct march. Where is he going? Where is the king headed? The king is headed to the cross. The king is headed to be crucified. And he marches on because that's the king's work. That is our king's work. And he's marching on. And he's marching on. Should that not stir us up to turn and repent and believe in Because the king's mission is that he might be a propitiation for the wrath of God for our sin, what we so richly deserve. The king is on the march to do his job. To do what, what God has designed him to do. What God ordained him to do. He is our king. And you see that there is impending judgment coming for those who would be an enemy to the king. Those who would deny the king. We may only just softly deny the king. I don't want us to miss this. We may just softly deny the king. We may not be those who violently oppose the king. We may just softly deny the king today. We may say, I'll wait. One day when I finish this or that, I'll surrender my life and let Jesus reign. One day. Maybe in the future. Maybe when I get down with this area of my life, when I get to this phase of my life, I'll do that. The impending judgment is coming. We don't know when that is. Today is the day. Right? Today is the day of salvation. And when it comes, our deeds are going to be exposed. We may softly deny the king in other ways. I want Jesus as my savior. We sing songs of Jesus as my friend. He's my friend and my savior, but I dare not have him rule and reign over my life. That's that's the night of the king. And who are you putting on the throne when you do that? You. You're putting you on the throne. And in the end, if you are on the throne, what happens? Where are you? If you are on the throne, what happens? Now let's see if the king marches on. I want to tell you this because this is really important. As it goes to this next part of this text, it seems like this might be just not connected. But to me it's connected in that He's saying that these folks have denied that Jesus is the king. He, he's sad that, that they didn't get it, that, that they didn't know that the time of visitation was there upon them and that there would be a future time of visitation that would be punishment for those who denied the king. But the king moves about the king's business immediately. And when, and verse 45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying that it is written. My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. You see, the king went to his house. And in the king's house, the king's house was to be a house of prayer. The king's house was not to be a house for the world and for the things of the world. And he's proclaiming here his kingdom mission. His kingdom mission was proclaiming the gospel. He was teaching daily in the temple, speaking of the things of the kingdom of God. 
I'm speaking, he's speaking forward the things of the kingdom of God. And there are still those Christian men uh, of the people who are seeking to destroy him. And yet, there are others. What were kingdom people doing? Hanging on every word. Kingdom people hang on every word that comes from the word of God. That's kingdom people. So we might ask ourselves this question, and that's what I sort of asked before, is how could they miss it? How could they have missed the king? The word of God was fulfilled right in front of them. How could they miss it? Even the rocks will cry out. How can they miss it? How can I believe in that right now? Why me? I pause to think of this. Why any of us? Why any of us? I think in John 3, 19-21. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and that people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that they can clearly see that his works have been carried out in God. Why didn't they see it? Why didn't I see it? Titus chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But here's the but, and it's a good one, right? This is a good one. Why don't, why don't we see it? Why don't we see the king for who he is? Sin. That's the bottom line. That's sin. Sin blinds our eyes and we see not as we ought to. Sin blinds our eyes. We were most foolish. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our eyes were opened. Our eyes were opened. By renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I would declare to us today, in closing, our present is determined by Jesus, righteous reign as King. Our past has been redeemed by the King's work on the cross. And our future is sure because the King reigns forever. Amen. Our future is sure. I want to leave us with a few things to ponder as we apply this truth in our lives and in our homes? Because these are good questions to ask our hearts, I think. Is Jesus the king in my house? Or am I the king? Is Jesus the king or the CEO in my workplace? Am I engaged in kingdom work? Will we bring the kingdom of Christ to bear on our regular, everyday activities? Will we do those things? Jesus is king. Jesus is 
will you do it right now as you say, Jesus is King. Then I am. Jesus is still King. Say, I will have this man rule and reign over me. Jesus reigns. What do we mean by it? What we do? Well, I pray that the Lord would convince you and convince me, convince our hearts to do this. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that Jesus is indeed on the throne. I pray, Lord, that you would convince us and correct us in the ways when we have taken lordship over ourselves. When we have failed to recognize that we were bought with a price. And that with that price we surrendered our life to the lordship and rule of Jesus Christ as King. Forgive us for the ways that we have taken reign over things that you were as reign over. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us, Lord, uh, in these days and these weeks ahead to turn over all those things in our homes that we take ownership over and, and give them rightly to you. May we see you on the throne as high and lifted up. May you stir in us a desire to open up your word and hear the words of the King that correct our hearts, that convince us of your goodness, to your praise and to your glory. We say glory to God in the highest. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.